DVDs. And uh, every, every one of you can have a copy of them, they're, they're free. They contain about uh, close to 5,000 channeled messages. Right? So, um, and they're broken into two cars, which I'll discuss later when we're talking. And uh, you'll find them really, really informative about a lot of different things about life here as well as the spirit world. But a lot of it is about the spirit world as well. So uh, you'll find those channeled messages really, really handy. They're all not copyrighted as well, so you can copy them and send them to others as well, or take a few extras for yourself if that's what you want to give around to others, that, other friends that you have. Now, um, all of you have watched the DVDs, or most of you have watched the DVDs that uh, were sent as an introduction. No? Some, some have not missed, missed out on that, but most of you have watched the DVDs. What I normally do in this first session is I actually allow... But basically, most people have a lot of questions about uh, what comes up during the DVDs. And so what I do in this session generally is instead of talking on a subject, I generally throw it open to yourselves so that you can ask any question that you want. And, uh, and then what I do... <laughs> Mira wants to start, so <laughs> we'll do that. And then what I do is just try to answer them. And usually we find this session might go for a few hours or last night it went for five hours. Um, it just depends on how many questions everybody has. And, uh, and in most cases, I, have, I get tired before the questions start, generally. <laughs> and, uh, and then tomorrow, uh, we'll allow that to continue. So if there's anything that's missed out today or anything comes up from our discussion today for you that you want to ask questions about, if you are staying around tomorrow, uh, there'll be another chance here at 10 in the morning through to about 1 uh, to ask questions as well. Fire away, Reincarnation. Reincarnation. <laughs> That's one of the biggest things on my belief structure would challenge. Okay. Uh, because of all the information I've read, because of the Dalai Lama, because of all the stuff that's out there, most people would have known about that or read about it. Yeah. But I've come to grips with most of it, yep. but there's one aspect which I would like to have clarified. For sure. That's the way I feel about it. Yep. Um, for me, reincarnation was a way where everything is fair, where somebody who's born in a, for example, in India, in, a, in sheer poverty, yeah. uh, uh, and somebody's born in, <coughs> I think, myself for example, I was born with a positive attitude yeah. and uh, inclination towards religion, towards spirituality. Yeah. And so uh, my path in a sense became a lot easier. For example, someone like Hitler, uh, I, I believe that it's character plus what you're born with, the personality you're born with, mm -hmm. plus your environment, which creates who you are, what you are, and what you go through. And what you choose to do. And what you choose to do, that's part of it. But a lot of that is. So for me, it was fair that, okay, everybody, I, I go through different lifetimes, so I experience the bad, the good, and everything else, and so that's where I am now. Yep. So it's very hard for me to actually uh, accept, what, well, I accept what you're saying, but from, it's a question of God is, where's the fairness? Okay. Where's the fence? No worries. Well, firstly, let's look at uh, the teaching of reincarnation as, it, as it's presented today. And then we'll look at the re at, at real reincarnation and how that occurs. Um, and if we can compare the two types of things, then we'll see where, which bits are fair and which bits are unfair and so forth. And maybe we can work through some of that from an emotional perspective. I'd like to address some of the question, though, um, in, a, in separate ways, like for instance what's happening with the Dalai Lama um, how is it that such a person 
um, has a recollection of previous lifetimes, for example. And those kind of things are, are very important questions and they, they all have answers too. Um, so there's a lot of questions involved in this question of reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, in, in the coming sessions that I'm doing up in the Sunshine Coast, we're actually, uh, what we're doing is we're going to go through a heap of, uh, one whole discussion for five hours on reincarnation itself, uh, as it's currently taught, and also what the truth is about reincarnation as well. You'll notice though, just some general comments about reincarnation first, that reincarnation really took off as a Western belief in, in the 50s and 60s. And most of you might have noticed that starting to occur that this before then in Western, in Western cultures generally reincarnation was not something that was generally agreed upon. But as the New Age movement has caught and taken, you know, taken place and a lot of the Eastern philosophies have merged into some Western cultures, what's happened is the reincarnation thing is a, is a constant theme that keeps popping up. Now with reincarnation itself, um, you're feeling that it was fair. You're feeling that the, old, the, the, the teaching of reincarnation exactly. was fair and, and I can see your point in that you feel that because you know this, this particular lifetime you'll be experiencing certain things and you'd come back and experience certain things next mm -hmm. lifetime. But if we look at the teaching more, in, with more clarity, you'll find that, um, that everything based, is based on karma in terms of what's happening in this lifetime and what they call dharma as well, right? So, so those two things, which, which I would call the law, based around the law of compensation, are what's driving these teachings of reincarnation. So let's look at karma in terms of what's going on with karma. Karma, the principle of karma is what you sow now, you'll reap in your next lifetime. That's the basic principle of karma from reincarnation. But the truth is, what you sow now, you will reap now. So there's a big difference between that, between those two particular points of view. So, firstly, a lot of times people, this, if you think about it, my tendency to reap something later down the track but not right now, my tendency to believe that, causes me to choose to do things sometimes very damaging to myself and to others right now. So if you look at the cultures who have reincarnation as a foundation of their belief, what has happened to them culturally? What have you found has happened to them culturally? Can you see what's going on with them, those particular cultures? If you look at them. Let's look at what are the primary cultures where reincarnation began as teachings that you're aware of. India. So, so Hinduism and Buddhism. So let's look at, say, the Hindu culture. What do you notice happening there from a purely love perspective? What do you notice happening? Well, they've got their um, segregations and hierarchy. All right, so there's this class of people who are the untouchables, mm -hmm. and then there are these classes of people who are higher. And what's that class of people? What are, why are the untouchables classed as untouchables? Does anyone know the background there? Because of the menial tasks they do, the dirty tasks. They're doing the dirty tasks, but the reason why they're assigned that, there's a general consensus in India that people who karma. are assigned that are due to karma, mm -hmm. due to their previous life being, they were bad in their previous life, so now they deserve to have that job. 
Now the question I have, is that an act of love? Is that loving? Right. So every single, you'll find that every single answer presented to you today will be based on whether something really appeals to your heart in terms of love or not. And you can examine lots of teachings this way by just seeing what's loving and what isn't. Is it loving to sort of treat somebody quite badly now because of something they did in the past that you are not even aware of? Is it loving for you to have the attitude that they deserve this treatment now? And if it's not loving for you to have it, do you think it's, would, God would have it? Do you think God would have that attitude? Obviously not. What would you have to your children? Let's say today you had a child and that child went a bit wayward and uh, you found that they started to choose to do things like take drugs and whatever and they messed up their life a fair bit. Would you then, would you then want to put more burdens on them? Or would you want to correct them or have them somehow corrected so that they have less <coughs> burdens on them? What would be your goal as a parent? Less burdens. It would be less burdens, wouldn't it? Yeah. And, that, and a lot of times what we're actually doing with God is we're attributing to God feelings that are actually worse than our own. And, and this is a lot of the teachings of reincarnation actually came about because they could not understand suffering. And so what they did then is try to come up with an explanation for it, which enabled the people who were coming up with the explanation to allow the people who were suffering to keep suffering without them doing anything about it. And this is what happened historically, many, like many thousands of years ago that reincarnation teachings began. And the reasons for the creation of those beliefs were very emotional. And those emotional creations, which were based on wanting people to be punished for bad behaviour, all began this cycle. And if you think about it, even the Christian philosophies all have similar teachings, don't they? Just exhibited in a different form. The Christian teachings are more, God's going to punish you if you're a bad boy or a bad girl. And obviously, none of these teachings are in harmony with love. Would you, would you, if your child was wayward, decide, oh, the best way to sort them out would be to punish them even more? Like, that they're already feeling punished in their own life? Most of the time, not, would you? You'd want them to try to... And I'm not talking about what's just or right here, I'm just talking about what you feel inside of you. So, connect with what you feel inside of you. When you do that, you'll find that actually... The reincarnation teachings as they are on earth today are not quite as just as what we may believe. They're actually quite damaging to whole cultures of people because they actually, what they do is they enable a culture to continue overlooking poor treatment of others with the justification that it's their karma. Where do the uh, memories of past lives come from? I've, I've done past lives, never had any memories of past lives, but a lot of people do. Like people who think they're Jesus, yep. and people who think they're uh, Mary Magdalene, or yep. um, King Charles, or yeah. <coughs> Cleopatra. Yeah, so it's very important to now looking at, well, why do people feel this now? Right. So it's very important to see whether there's any answers to those questions. Right. So let's, let's uh, look at what's actually going on. Remember in the DVDs I said you, you are a soul, so let's say I'm drawing a ma ma male soul here. You have a spirit body and you have a material body, right? 
physical body. So you are actually this being here, and these bodies are just appendages of you. They are what you are currently using to get things up, if you like. Now, in the spirit world, there are literally billions and billions of spirits who have their soul and their spirit body. They no longer have their material body. So you have male and female people all through the spirit world. And each single one of you have one person permanently connect to you, connected to you in this regard. And that person is called your guardian. You've heard of that term? This is different to soulmate, though. No, this is totally different to soulmate. Not the same discussion. This is these are spirits that are assigned to help you throughout your life. Right. There's two types of spirits that are assigned to help you throughout your life. One type is called a guardian. The guardian's role is to actually protect you physically. You follow me? So they try within in, within the laws of God to protect you as best as they can, given your free will. So you might have your free will to drive recklessly along the road, and they'll try to protect you in that process, as long as they're not breaking the laws of God doing it. And the times when they don't protect you and you finish up passing or you have an accident are when you broke the laws of God so much, and you weren't listening to them, and they couldn't do anything else but watch the event occur. But the, the role of the guardian is actually to protect you physically from danger. Right? Then you have another type of spirit which is assigned, assigned to you, assigned to you, called your guide. Now, they're only assigned to you when you decide that you want to progress spiritually. So let's say you made a decision, you were going along in your life merrily, and you know, usually by the time we get to our teens or twenties, we're starting to wonder about the secrets of the, of the universe, aren't we? We're normally starting to why am I here, where am I going, those kind of things. And so let's say I decided at that point that I would actually, oh, what I'll do is I've, I've tried, lots of people talking about the Buddhist path now, so, and I like how it uh, you know, appeals to the, the peacefulness, appeals to me, and uh, the meditation techniques appeal to me and so forth. So what I want to do is just investigate that path for a while in my life. Now, as soon as you make that choice, that, that feeling inside of you, as soon as you make that choice, what happens is you attract a guy who is a spirit who's still on the Buddhist path in the spirit world. And they come and assist you and help you through the process of learning all about Buddhism as they conceive it to be in the spirit world. Because they believe in it fully themselves? They believe in it still fully themselves in the spirit world. Yep. Still, still believe in the same sort of things that they believed on earth with some modifications of the new things that they've learnt in their progression because many of them have been living thousands of years so obviously they've learnt a lot of things. And what they, they are assigned to you, by God actually, are assigned to you to help you work through different emotions that they also had and it's a, it's a, it finishes up being a joint effort, if you like, of growth. And so the guide's role is your spiritual development. And it's your longing or your desire in your soul, in your heart, in your emotions, that causes the attraction of that particular spirit to you. Now, so far we've said there's two spirits. So if we just number these down, there's one spirit, there's the second spirit. These two spirits are with you almost constantly. The first one with you constantly, every waking moment. 
The second one is with you, dependent upon your desire. Right? Now, there's another group of spirits that are with you. That is, every type of person that, uh, that you have, you know, like here at the moment, many of you have some similar personality traits. And so you attract others here who are similar to yourself, and you've got some rapport, right? And you start talking about all sorts of similar things. Some of you are interested in sort of natural things, some of you are interested in spiritual things of a certain type, and what happens is you gather together because of that common interest, right? So there is a whole group of spirits which you would say, you could say have <coughs> sympathetic, have, have sympathy with you. So they are sympathetic spirits with you. In other words, they feel attracted to you. They like your personality, they like the kind of guy or girl you are, and they enjoy interrelating with you, even though they're still spirit. They enjoy that process of interrelating with you. So there's those group of spirits who are with you on a relatively constant basis. Then there's another group of spirits with you. Right? This other group of spirits is historically your family tree. It usually takes a lot of interest in you. So you might have a grandmother who died, who passed, and she's checking out all of her grandchildren. Right? And she will connect with a grandchild or a few of the grandchildren that she feels a rapport with or a, or a connection with. And so you could say there's another group of spirits who are family spirits or spirits that have been connected to you from your family in the past. Now can you see already, you have a group of spirits around you every single moment of your life. Right? Just like you have groups of people around you for most of your life. Every one of these spirits wants to talk to you. They want to influence you in some way. They want to give you thoughts. They want to let you know they're around you and surrounding you. They want to actually help you. This, this person here in particular wants to help you develop spiritually to the point where you can actually communicate with all of these other ones. Right? And they're constantly trying to lead you down this road, which we often resist, by the way, but they're constantly trying to lead us down the road where we're drawn into receiving new information that will help us connect to them. So let's say any single one of you might have, say, 10 or 12 or 15 spirits around you at any one time. So how does that feel? Like, you're there in the shower, you've got 12 or 15 spirits around you. Whatever you're doing, you've got that many spirits around you. Then another thing happens, and that is that every time you go to sleep, you go out of body. So every time you sleep, your body is remaining in the bed, and you, your soul and you, so this part of you, the spirit body and your soul, leave your body on earth, and there's a silver cord connection that connects the two, so your body remains alive, and you go around the spirit world, meeting people. You set up events, you meet new people, you try and set up events to meet on the earth, and all those kind of things happen while you're in the spirit world state, in your sleep state. So you catch up with lots of different spirit people in that state. And many of them arrive during the day to check up on you while you're awake. See how you're doing. See whether you can connect in the awake state. You are all actually totally capable in your sleep state of speaking through a medium to in a, another person on the opposite side of the world who's awake any single time. So many of you do that, actually. But many of you are actually speaking to people on the opposite side of the world trying to speak while you're asleep. 
So that's happening as well at the same time. So can you see that all of a sudden there's, there's lots of things happening around you that perhaps you weren't aware of? Yeah. Now, imagine for a moment you go along to a medium and you sit down with the medium and the medium's there. You sit down here and she's starting to feel you, what she thinks is you. But what is she actually feeling? She's not just feeling you. She is feeling you, your guardian, your guide, all your sympathetic spirits around you, any family that's around you, and any person that's in the sleep state who's interested in you. Right at that moment. Do you follow me? She's are they, they malevolent spirits that's hanging around her? Yes. Yes, certainly. There are malevolent spirits or spirits who have evil emotions too that are attracted to even maybe harming you that she may also feel around you. Right? So she's feeling all of these ones around you at any one time. Now, if she believes in reincarnation and past lives, how is she going to explain that to herself? Wouldn't she just say, oh, you've had a past life, in this past life you were a, you know, this past life you were a queen, and, and you did this and you did that, and you died because one of your subjects murdered you. And in fact, what she is describing right at that moment is a spirit who's sympathetic with you due to some emotions, and who is actually with you permanently because of the sympathetic attraction, and she's describing their life. And every time I've sat down with a medium when they're doing this, and I've said, now, instead of doing this as a past life, now you start talking to the spirit as if they are a person. Not a past life of me, but they are actually a person. And when the mediums do that, their entire life changes. The medium's life changes, I mean. Because now they're realising that they're actually connecting with all these different people more often than they realise. And... If you have the ability to communicate with spirits and you feel pictures and feelings and thoughts from what you believe are past lives, if you start communicating to them as if they are a spirit wanting to talk to you, you'll find you'll have very interesting conversations with these people. Right? And they are real people that exist. And this has happened so many times in many of the groups that we've done where people have come in saying, I've got this past life, what's this all about? I believe in past lives completely because of this. And I've started talking to the spirit. And once I started talking to the spirit, the spirit got so excited. Well, you imagine, if you've been sitting with a person for 10 years, telling them about yourself, and they just believe it's not you, but themselves, how frustrated would you get about that? It's pretty frustrating for a spirit to go through that. So when somebody recognises they're different, they're a real person who's lived before, hanging about, a lot of spirits get really excited about that. Right? And in fact, there's a lot of spirits here today who are really excited about you knowing that. <coughs> because they feel that they'll be able to communicate to you better because of that. Yeah. So, what's actually happening is, this spirit, whoever this spirit is hanging about you, which can be any one of these <coughs> people, or a person in the sleep state, this spirit communicates, is attempting to communicate with you. <coughs> And the way they do it is through thoughts, pictures, words that pop into your mind, just drop into your mind. That's how they communicate with you. Now, if the person is this one, your guide, they are always trying to help you progress spiritually. 
So they are going to be focusing on triggering your emotions. So they will give you a picture from their own life that's very similar to your life that causes you to actually feel an emotion that you're avoiding in your own life. That's their that's what they will do. These other, these other spirits will often not do that. They'll drop thoughts or pictures about their own life without consideration as to whether you've got the same emotion or not. But this person will often do it in a very controlled way in order to assist you to progress. Now this is happening every single moment of your awakening life. And most people on earth have no idea how much they're being affected. When I was a child and just playing in my parents' backyard one day, I had a very, oh, I was probably a, a seven, eight or something, had a very clear impression come into my mind that no matter how foolishly I behaved, I would not die until something of great importance for the planet had taken place. Yep. Was that a spirit? Yes, it was a spirit giving you that impression. Yep. Right. So a lot, of, a lot of times our guardians and guides are assigned to us before birth and they automatically have a rapport with us. How many of you can remember seeing spirits when you were little? Does it, do any of you remember that? Or just a few? Yeah. How many of you now see spirits or talk, or, so, sorry, hear spirits? How many of you feel you hear spirits? So a few. How many of you heard spirits when you were little? Where, where you thought you were talking to somebody but mum and dad always said there's no one there. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually in a lot of times in, a, in an audience there might be half even the, of the audience who had those experiences, right? And you know, a lot of times we can't even remember them now because what happens is we were often suppressed with those particular abilities. So the truth is that every one of you have the abilities to speak with spirits at any time and hear their thoughts and, and actually even see them. But most of the time in our life as we're growing up from a young age that is suppressed within us. Yeah. And that's the... Yeah. Do your guides change depending on... Yes, they do change. The role of the guide is to help you in the spiritual course you have personally chosen. So like I said earlier, if I've chosen Buddhism, then my guide will be, who I'll be assigned to, will be a Buddhist. Let's say I've chosen Catholicism, then obviously the guide will be a Catholic. If, if I've chosen something else, the guide will be whatever that particular path leads me. If it's a New Age philosophy, then it will be a guide who has not many of those other beliefs, but some New Age beliefs assigned to me. When It all depends on, on what I want. So sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, you've got an Indian with you. Right? I mean, a, I mean a, like, an, a Red Indian, like an American Indian with you. And a lot of times American Indians are, are spirits, are, are attracted to people who really are interested in the earth and, and looking after the earth and looking after things on the earth and so forth. Now when you go through that phase, a lot of times an American Indian becomes very interested in you because that's their interest. Right? So lots of different spirits are attracted to you as you change your desires. And that happens on a constant basis. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned in the, the DVD about the law of attraction. I know you mentioned another law this yep. morning. I can't remember what the it law is. of compensation. Okay. Yep. Um, I don't know what you call them. I call them universal laws. But how many are there? And there, there are literally an infinite number of laws. Um, however, the laws have a hierarchy. 
What I mean by that, there are some laws that overcome other laws. Now, the best way I can illustrate that is like the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. Yeah. So the law of gravity states basically, if if you, it doesn't matter whether you, whether you have, if you have nothing under you, you're going to fall at 9.8 metres per second, per second, till you hit the ground, yeah. till you hit a solid object that prevents the fall, right? That's yeah. the law of gravity. And whether you were pushed, whether you jumped, whether you accidentally fell, you are still going to be subject to that law. <clears throat> That's the law of gravity. But there's also a higher law God has created, which we know about, called the law of aerodynamics. And the law of aerodynamics states that if you have a certain type of structure, you can actually fly rather than fall, yeah. which overcomes the law of, of gravity. So can you see how the law of gravity is a fairly low law physically, yeah. and then there's a physical another law that's even higher that, that overcomes it. And then there's actually another physical law that overcomes that, that man hasn't discovered very much about now. I've seen it a bit with superconductivity and levitation and so forth, but no one's really practicing it at this point. It's not really discovered in a usable sense. And then there's actually other laws above that, physical laws, that you can actually invoke once you know about them. Right? So there's a physical strain of hierarchy, if you like. But there are also another group of laws over the top of that, which govern the spirit form. And then there are another group of laws over that that govern the soul form. And then there are another group of laws over that that are the laws of divine love, and they are the highest laws of the universe. So the laws have a hierarchy. My suggestion is, learn the laws of divine love, and all other things come to you. That's what I meant by seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be given to you. Is there only one law for divine love then? And the law of divine love actually encompasses a lot of different laws in itself, but they are all very simple to understand. A child can understand them. And this is the beauty of what God has created. The highest possible laws you can invoke and actually be a part of are the most simplest for you to actually understand. And the lowest laws that you're a part of are the most complex to understand. Yeah. Which is very interesting when you think about it. It tells you a lot about God in a way. God wants us to become childlike if we really want to progress spiritually. Yeah. But getting back to this discussion, can you see what's going on with spirits? Everyone's seeing what's going on there? Right. Now, if I'm this person here, <coughs> I could be interpreting this transaction in lots of different ways, couldn't I? I could be interpreting the pictures that I'm getting as my own feelings or thoughts, or images from my own past lives. I could be interpreting it as some kind of, like I've heard one fellow d describe it as there is a universal, um, there's a universal world out there that just has thoughts, and I can pick up anybody's thoughts. That's how he described it. Um, and I've heard lots and lots of different descriptions about how well, different people describing these particular events. But the truth of what's actually happening is. These are just people trying to communicate with you. And one of the reasons why is they want to tell you that there is no such thing as death. We've got a seamless life and a seamless existence. How do we communicate with them? By dealing with the fears associated that have locked down your methods of communication in your life. So that's all about dealing with some emotions. 
And most people don't want to deal with those emotions because they're all fear-based emotions or terror-based emotions that they experienced when they were little. And so they never let them go throughout their life. But once a load of mediums, you've all heard of mediums. How many of you have been to mediums? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, so probably half a bit over. When you go to a medium, the medium is a person who hasn't got those emotional injuries. They're not afraid of speaking with spirits in this way. But they do have other emotional injuries that cause them to misinterpret what's being said to them at times. So it just depends on what their emotional injuries are as to how accurate they'll be. But every one of you is totally capable of removing that emotional injury from within yourself and getting to a space where you can feel the spirits around you, you can feel what their intention are, you, you can feel their, their qualities and their attributes, you can feel your guide on a pretty constant basis, and all of those things, you, you can do that. All of you can do that. And you'll tell us how. And it, that's a session in itself. And I'm actually doing some sessions coming up in, in Queensland uh, that will be recorded um, that, that are talking to a group of mediums and healers about this entire subject. Yeah. Have you got, got a title for that yet? So that we can look at it? It's called Spirit Communication and, and I think Spirit Communication and Interaction, I think I've called it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be done uh, actually in about two weeks' time. So the DVD will probably be available about six weeks' time. Yeah. In the case of a, a medium who alleges to predict your future life, mm -hmm. and it all works out the way it has been said over, mm -hmm. say, two or three years or five years, how does that work? Um, right at the moment, inside of you, there is this group of emotions. Right? And a spirit who's looking at you can see every single emotion that you have within you. All of the ones that are resolved and positive emotions, you know, all of your desires. And they can also see all of your ones that are unresolved, all of your fears, if you like. They can see all of that. Not only that, they can see other people around you and all of their desires and their fears. And because they're not, they're not constrained by the physical mind, their, their ability to process all of these different variables is, is much more heightened than our own ability to process those variables. So what happens is they can process within a very, very short period of time all the po possibilities of what may occur to you and also choose the most likely one based on your current condition. All right. Not only that, there is no time in the spirit world. So what that means is that time, you could say, is just in the vertical. Like there is no, there is no time in the sense... There is a past, but it, there is no time in the sense that everything for them is happening right now. And so what happens is they actually receive inspiration from higher spirits and even from God about what may happen in the future. And they can see that as pictures and thoughts and, and all of those kind of things and even, even events. And what they can then do is funnel those pictures, thoughts and events to you to help you make a choice about things going on in your life. And they can do all of that as well. So when you've got all of those abilities, and by the way, all of you will have all of those abilities when you pass into the spirit world, and you'll be looking down on people on earth just like they're looking down on you now, and, and you'll have exactly the same abilities they now have at some point, and you'll be doing exactly the same thing with people on earth in the future who are in your condition. Does that make sense? And, 
And you will find that all of this is just the enhanced abilities that you have once you're released of all of the emotional crap that's really inside us. That once we release all of that, once we actually live in our passions and desires, you'll find that all of these abilities automatically come to you where you can start seeing the future for, for people. So a lot of that, shall we say, ability would be dependent on simultaneous time, would that be right? And it's, yeah, don't, don't get, with all of these things I'm saying, as soon as you go into the intellect with a lot of these things that I'm saying, you'll struggle with actually understanding what's going on because until you personally experience what it's like in the spirit world yourself, you will not understand how time is actually related. You follow me? And you can come up with all these mathematical theories, which most uh, physicists and mathematicians have, but in the end it doesn't mean they understand it from an experiential point of view. And it's only when you understand it from an experiential point of view that you start feeling it. What, what I'm getting, like right at the moment, I can, I can look at one of you and feel what you're feeling. I can feel what you're feeling towards me, and I can feel what you're feeling about the information that you're receiving. I can also feel the emotional injuries that you have that are preventing you from assimilating the information. I can feel also potentially what will happen to you in your future. Right? Now these things are all things that you are capable of doing yourselves, right now in the physical state. The only thing that prevents us is our concepts and constructs and belief systems that keep us in certain constraints. That's the only thing that prevents us. When you enter the spirit world, many of those constraints and constructs will be automatically exploded because you'll realise that many of the things we're talking about today are true and straight away that changes your perception. Right? And as soon as your perception is changed, you open your mind and you open your heart. And when your heart's open, you can see so many more things going on. And once that occurs, then you start having all of these abilities that God gives you, that God has already given you, that you just have been laying dormant within you. And in that state, yes, you will see and understand what time is. And time is different in different dimensions. So the first seven dimensions, time is different than the next 14 dimensions. <coughs> right? There are all sorts of different mathematical constructs that, that change how space and time are, are viewed in each different sets of dimensions. But you'll learn that as you go through those dimensions. And you can go through those dimensions here on Earth in your progression. And the way to do that is by growing and expanding in love. And this is where everything gets really simple. The simple thing is, once you grow and expand in love, you will begin to understand all of these theoretical, what are currently on Earth, theoretical and mathematical concepts, but you won't care about them that much because you're really interested in the love stuff, if that makes sense. And, but the, because of your interest in the love stuff, all of the other things will be added to you. You'll have all of these abilities automatically added to you as you go. Right? But time is different in different dimensions. And space is also different in different dimensions. Is, is the general answer to the intellectual question. <laughs> Yeah. So, can you see how the interrelationship between spirits and people on earth affect your daily life every single moment? And, and if you become consciously aware of what's going on, and consciously aware of thoughts dropping into your mind, and consciously aware of what's going on within yourself emotionally, you'll find that you'll feel the times when you're spirit influenced. And most spirit influence is, many spirit, much of the spirit influence is positive. 
It's not negative, it's just like a good friend who's hanging about, you just can't see them. Right? But some of the influence is negative. They're like a bad friend who's hanging about, trying to stuff up your life. Right? I, I think it does just to uh, get in touch with the higher self, because you read about it and say, oh, this works, I'll try this. Yep. Um, I was lucid at the time, but I was under the hypnosis, but um, the, of course the hypnotist tried to take me through the past life things, which never worked for me anyway. Yeah. But, um, uh, the being that was there, which according to me, and I say him, because yeah. that's the concept I get, yeah. he thought it was quite amusing, not in a superior way, but he thought it was quite amusing, childish in a way, that, but let's put up with it because she wants to ask these questions. Exactly. And now I find that I can actually have conversation with me, but I don't know if I'm talking to me, or if I'm talking to me, no, you're talking <laughs> or what I'm talking to. You're talking to me. Me's very, me's very easy to get along with. If, if, I, ask, yeah. if I ask a silly question like, am I going to live in the one that might be? You say, push yeah. And of course I don't. Yeah, of course. So what's what's actually happening there? Is is that my spiritual guide, my guardian, and why is it so agreeable even when it's not going to be true? Even part of me knows it's probably not going to be true. So am I actually sabotaging myself? No, it is a spirit. And the spirit enjoys your company because you have a very similar sense of humour. And because you've got a very similar sense of humour, half the time he tells you things knowing that you know that it's not going to be true. Do you follow me? Yeah. And he's just having fun with you. He's quite well developed and, uh, and, and helping you in a lot of areas of your life. And talk to, talk to him more often. Um, and also too, like, when they said that past lives, that thing, have you got seen shoes on? What's the names from the past life? And he thought that was amusing. He just said, it's me. <laughs> and every time I come back, he'd say, who's there now? It's me. <laughs> oh, I was cracking up and I was on a Yeah, that's right. But I mean, yeah. so the fact is, like, in the spirit world, do they actually have, you said that some of the, some of the levels don't have languages, they also obviously don't have names. No, that's right. You don't, in fact, you get to a point in the spirit world above the seventh sphere that nobody really cares about names at all. And you identify people by their emotional personality signatures. So everyone is unique, and you can feel the uniqueness of everyone <coughs> as you're interrelating with them emotionally. Yeah, so you don't need a name. Yeah. So a lot of times a spirit who's in that state will be quite amusing uh, about all of these lower states. Not, not in a belittling way, but just in having a fun. Having well, a fun way of the job. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And many spirits are in a celestial state, which is the seventh, eighth fear and above, are very childlike in their interaction with us. Oh. In all sorts of ways, yeah. Uh, although they're adults, they're still very childlike in their interaction. Just like you will become, actually. You'll become more childlike in your interaction with others when you work through different emotions that cause us to feel like we're an adult and we've got to, you know, impose adult rules upon our life. You know, we become, as we work through things and we progress on the divine path, we become like children in a lot of different ways. And that's one way. Yeah. He's in a good place, actually. He's... He's enjoying your, your uh, he's enjoying his guideship, if we can call that. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually a guide. It's a guide. It's a guide. It's a guide. It's with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not your guardian. It's your guide. And he's enjoying it because it, he, he loves your personality, and he has a very similar personality too. And so there's a deep rapport between he feels between yourself and him. Yeah. yeah. And you can you can hear him quite clearly actually.
I do. Yeah. yeah. And and so you may not have realised what's going on, but you can certainly hear him quite clearly. And he'd certainly love to be able to talk with you more about some more emotional subjects than what he's been able to discuss with you. Yeah. I have a problem with that. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Now you're connecting with that. He's actually confirming now with what I'm saying to you. He's confirming that through your emotions. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that, that's a powerful that's a powerful thing now. See, he's now saying he's remind he's reminding you this is very important for you. So he's really saying he's saying to you what's limiting your life at the moment is is the emotions that are still buried from childhood within. And he would definitely love to help you uh, work through those emotions. But he wants to have some fun with it with you as well. Yeah, that's how he sees it. Yeah. He's a lovely fellow, actually. Meet him when you pass. Well, and you've been before then, of course. There'll be times in all of your futures where actually there, there is going to be a time in the future due to these changes that are happening on the earth where spirits will actually begin materialising back on earth again. But only when people on the earth are ready to handle it without thinking they're beings from outer space or without thinking that they're, you know, someone they can cut up and dissect or whatever, you know. They, they, they're waiting for these times to come. They know that these times are coming where all of you will actually see spirits sit and be able to sit down on a chair next to one of them and talk to them. And, and so many of you will, in fact, finish up seeing you guys. Uh, this is in a spiritual body. They're not reincarnating per se. No, they manifest a material form. Um, a spirit is totally capable of just manifesting a material form yeah, for a period of time. Plasm or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And manifesting that material form for a period of time, it takes a lot of energy. So these spirits that, are do, that will do this are quite high up. You know ghosts, you've heard of ghosts and you know you see apparitions and all that. Often a ghost is actually a thousand really sad, sad spirits or a thousand malevolent spirits drawing together their, pooling together their energy to create one apparition. Right? Uh, in order to scare the living daylights out of it, generally, right? Because that was their goal. And now a spirit in a much higher place doesn't need to get together with a thousand people to do it. A spirit in a higher place just can do it from their own energy and their own connection with God. They can create a material form. And they can stay in that form for a period of time. After I passed in the first century, that's exactly what I did. I materialised a material form at, uh, on nearly 500 different occasions um, to appear to people to show them that I was still alive. So, and all of these spirits that, uh, uh, that are coming up in the future, once the condition on earth changes where people can handle that, these events will start occurring. How would you know whether the thoughts or um that's happening is either spirits or it's your own aspects of your personality. Um, What's the, how would you tell the difference? And my answer to that question, um, you can tell the difference, but my question, my answer is, why do you want to? Well, whether it's your guide and then information to your guide, or whether it's part of your own ego personality. <laughs> All right. So the question is then the question really then gets down to. Is what you're being prompted loving or unloving? Okay. Doesn't it? Like, as long as it's loving and it's to do with the development of your soul, then why not go along with it? If it's unloving in some way, then certainly you want to know whether it's coming from yourself or from another person. You'd want to know and not do not do it and work out what emotion is within you causing you to do it. 
So my, my feelings about spirit attraction and thoughts and feelings and, and images popping from spirits into your mind are, are this. The law of attraction is bringing that to you. It's bringing it to you for a reason. And you need to allow yourself to feel about the reason. Right. So let's say I'm a person who has a lot of anger in me. And in this process of anger, I actually start feeling like I want to actually kill the person I'm angry with. And I start having thoughts popping into my mind. Yeah, go it. You know, go and do it. Right. Right. What's actually happening here? Is this a thought that's loving? No. But it's a thought that's coming, whether it's coming from a spirit or my own feelings, it's a thought that's coming from some evil emotions within myself, isn't it? That's attracting it. You follow me? So what I need to ask myself is, is this a loving thing that I'm being encouraged to do? And if I'm not, then let's deal with the emotion under it. Instead of staying in the anger, what am I so angry about? You know, go deeper into that. You know, go deeper into the emotion itself that I'm afraid of and so forth and all the things that are covering it. Does that make sense? So if you allow yourself to do that, whatever the attraction is will automatically disappear. But because I'm so much in a rage myself and I feel justified about maybe even thinking about killing that person, I'm going to attract a, a spirit who's also in that state and who's willing to watch me and encourage me to actually hurt somebody. Does that make sense? So what do I need to do? I need to deal with it emotionally. Can you see that? Every single time, deal with it emotionally. Now, some ways to tell the difference between, that being said, some ways to tell the difference between what's going on in terms of my own feelings and thoughts and what's going on in terms of the spirit uh, is that oftentimes thoughts from spirits just come out of nowhere. Whereas many of your own thoughts will come from an emotion that you recognise within yourself. <coughs> Do you see the difference? So sometimes you'll find that a thought will come out of nowhere and just pop into your mind, like, where did that come from? Most of the time it came from one of these spirits who were with you. <clears throat> but if you go back through your thoughts and you realise, oh boy, I was having a feeling just before then of whatever the feeling was. So let's say the feeling was I was angry or the feeling was I was whatever it is. Trace, go back to that. A lot of times thoughts like that come from within yourself. You will know the difference quite easily because there are things that are coming that are obviously not from you. How many of you have had thoughts that you felt didn't come from you? Right? Like you know, more than half of And that is very common and usually they did come from spirits. How many of you have had thoughts that didn't come from you and you felt they weren't very nice thoughts? How many of you have had that? Yeah? Well, that's come from a spirit too. And they popped that thought in at that moment, trying to get you to make a decision that was negative. Because there's an emotion inside of you that attracted that particular popping of that thought in. If that makes sense. So, whenever you have these thoughts just pop into you like that, just you know, understand that there's probably a spirit behind them. Ask yourself, what is the thought itself? Is it a thought that's encouraging you to love? Or is it a thought that's encouraging you to be damaging in some way to somebody else? 
If it's the latter, then obviously the spirit who's popped it in is malevolent and they're attracted to you because of an emotion in you that you're holding on to that's not so good. Right? And let yourself acknowledge that. Don't judge it. Let yourself acknowledge it. And most of the time you'll find it came from your childhood and some hurt that you received when you were little. Let yourself work your way through that. Hey Joe, I thought you hadn't actually addressed my question about fairness and reincarnation. Yep. And do you understand what I mean in that fairness? I do understand what you mean in the fairness. I can't agree that it's fair. The main reason why is that um, if you look at what's actually happening with the reincarnation philosophies, that what you're asking, what you, if, we, if we describe it even more, in more detail, what's actually happening is I live a life now. I go through lots of different emotions and sometimes I create some negative things around me. So I create some unloving things around me. The philosophy of reincarnation is I pass, I have a life review, and then I come back on earth again and I live another life to work through the karma from that previous life, to work through the things that I did wrong and right in the previous life. You follow me? Yes, although I believe that not necessarily in karma in that sense, but in different experiences, rather, it's a choice. That's what I did believe. You believed it was a choice to come back? A choice to come back. And then experience different things? Yeah. What happens with the karma in your belief? Because the karma in the... karma exists as in now. Okay, so, now. so your belief more mirrors the concepts of truth than, yes. than, than the traditional reincarnation yeah. beliefs. But where, where I'm saying about fairness is that, uh, like, I was born with a particular aspect, and I've got this life to lead which is reasonably um, fair, it's, it's, not, it's not, a, not a bad life. Yeah. Compared to my other example was Hitler, who went through a bad life, but also he's having a very bad experience in the lower astral or the lower or the first level. Whereas I don't believe I'm going to experience that. Yeah. So there's no justice in a sense, like uh, even though there are different souls, as you say, all different personalities, yeah. and from the different experiences that occurs, but there's, there's no fairness and why should I have a reasonably nice life and say there's a bad one and also bad progression, a lot and more hassles, problems. You've already given yourself the answer by some of the things you said originally. One thing you said originally is that firstly when we come we have a personality, right? Yes, yeah. you said that I've yeah. Yeah. The second thing you said we have is free will choice, right? Yeah. What other things do we have? We have personality, free will choice, and then we have emotional damage. Which is our environment in a lot of cases, which is actually our personality. Totally our environment, yeah. In most cases it's almost totally our environment, emotional damage, isn't it? Like, for example, would any murderer ever become a murderer? Would anybody ever become a murderer, quite as easy as they do nowadays, if the environment was totally different? No. How many people would steal nowadays if, if, if the environment in, this, in, in the world was that everything you needed, you were given? It didn't cost you anything, you didn't have to work for it, or nothing. It was just given to you. If that was the environment, how many people would steal? Wouldn't have to. <laughs> exactly. Right. So how many people would even want to own anything? Probably no one. If you, everything you want was going to be given to you, why would you want to own something? You wouldn't even want to perhaps own anything, would you, in that environment? 
So you can see straight away that it's our environment that certainly causes certain emotional damage on us. Right. The laws that God has of karma revolve around this particular thing. Not these things. Right? It's this thing that, co that creates the damage in the world today and all of the suffering in the world. It's the choice, with, and it's one choice in particular, and it's this choice, and I'll just write it down, the choice of self-reliance. Right? That's the choice that causes all the pain and suffering in the world today. Right? Now, God doesn't, God's laws don't judge us for that. And God's laws also don't actually judge us for that, although they do correct us for that. But God's laws actually, the law of karma or the law of compensation, actually corrects us for that. What we have chosen to do. So you see, like two people on the earth today can experience sexual abuse as children. One of them can, be become, can become an abuser of other children, and the other one doesn't. Why? Because one made a... Personality? Well, no, it's actually because one made a free will choice to not do it. Right? And personality had, had nothing to do with it, actually. Character personality. Ooh. Okay. Tell me about the character that would cre create a person wanting to um, harm another child after they've been harmed. What? Vindictive. But that's an emotional injury. That's not the free will choice, that's the emotional injury. Mm. So that's not personality, that's the emotional injury. Vindictive is an emotional injury. Nobody, yes. None of you are born vindictive. No. Right? So that's not... Well, give me examples of personalities that are rather emotional. Personality is what God <laughs> created in you before you were even incarnated. That's your personality. It can be modified by your free will choice, mm -hmm. right? but the emotional damage can be removed that causes you to make choices. Emotional damage and personality from God's perspective are just two totally separate things. Yeah. Can you give me some example of personalities in, in God? Um, how many of you are interested in music? All of you. How many of you actually play a musical instrument though? Now there's some personality differences going on straight away. Some play a musical instrument, others don't. Why? Talent. Well, so, yes. sometimes it is natural talent, isn't it? So, so you can say, inbuilt into personality, there are some of us that have this, just this natural innate talent towards music. That's why some kids pick up, a, pick up a guitar, and before you know it, they're playing, didn't have to learn anything. I had some friends who were Maori, Maori friends, and they just all could just pick up the guitar, and any song you want, they play it exactly as if they'd heard Every song. You just say what it was. And then if you wanted your key change, oh, they'd do that as well. And none of them had ever studied music. None of them know even how to read a musical note. I had a son like that. Yeah. He play a piano and he was asked to play with an orchestra and he said, but I can't read music. And he's got a kid. Yeah, exactly. Now that's a part of his personality. That's a part of... And every one of you have unique parts of your personality that no one else has. Every single person. Right? <laughs> if I'm angry, that's not a part of my personality. That is a part of my emotional, emotional damage. damage. Yeah. So there's a big difference between that. So yeah. I can be an angry musician. <laughs> the musician part can be the personality. And my anger is all to do with some other issues. 
Right. It's all to do with some other emotions that I've got. Emotional damage is usually created by environment. Totally. So for me, uh, if I was brought up in an environment which is, didn't give me emotional damage, much another one. And I, so I'm saying it's, it's not fair that everybody's got different experiences. A lot how much is that free will choice? My environment was very, very Firstly, bad. let's look at how God created it and then examine it how it is. Because see, a lot of times what we're doing today is what we're doing is we are looking at how it is and we're thinking that's what God created. But how it is right now is what, what we've created. Mm. So, and, and so, and this is something I want to discuss a little later, is how God, God has created the potential for everything, but he gave you this beautiful gift called free will, and that gift enables you to become a co-creator. Right? And all of us have co-created. And all of us co-created Hitler, by the way. Right? So therefore, Hitler and what he did isn't... The things that Hitler did are not all attributed to Hitler, you know. From God's perspective, they are all attributed to who created it. And all of us, in, you know, all of the people living at that time were co-creators of that particular emotional damage that caused that man and the country to follow the man in that time period. So don't think that God then says that Hitler's to blame for all of that. Because that's certainly not the case. Hitler is not to blame for all of that. And Hitler, Hitler is not going to pay for most of that. What only thing Hitler is going to pay for is his own free will choice. That's what he's going to pay for. Just like you will pay for. And you will pay for it just as much as he will. And there are some people in the spirit world who are in just as bad condition of Hitler and never killed a single person. Right? And there's some people in the spirit world like that. Right? Another question, please, by mine. Can I keep going with this? Because I haven't answered it yet. <laughs> so, what God, what God does is focuses, the laws of correction are focusing on this, mm -hmm. but the laws, the laws involving penalties are focused on this. And, and that is the thing that creates all of the laws of the universe, all of the karma, if you like. Now, getting back to the reincarnation. If I make a free will choice now in this life, right, and then I can, go, I can go up into the spirit world and get to the 22nd sphere and reincarnate, I can. And then I can experience another life, I can do that. And there is a way to do that, which I've explained on the, on the introductory DVDs. Right? So if you're talking about reincarnation in that format, why would you come back? It's all due to love. There's no karma to work through. There's no... because you've already worked through it. So karma is a thing that is worked through in each particular part of the spheres, in each of the dimensions. So understand that when you leave here, you have as much opportunity, and this applies to the worst person in terms of the evilest person who leaves here, has just as much opportunity to grow through those fears as you do. And I've personally seen really, really evil people who were on earth progress much more quickly than a person who was really righteous here on earth. Well, they've got more potential, haven't they? Well, they've got more potential, but also because they pass in a fair bit of pain at times, they are very quick at times to recognise their pain. Well, that's... And well, it's the greatest teacher, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, and to actually begin to deal with it, right? Whereas I've seen other people 
right? Come out of this earth in a so-called really good state, a really self-righteous state, actually, and they have been stuck in different spheres of the spirit world for a thousand years, and some of them for 30 or 40,000 years in one location. And I've seen these other people who have gone through four or five hundred years of penalty payment, if you like, of, because of their free will choices on earth, and then, because of that, found the divine love path and automatically progressed right to the 22nd sphere, and the others are still in the 6th sphere. In a way that answers my question on offense. Exactly. So what happens is that God's laws are all corrected, right? As, and everything is corrected through this process that God has, has made throughout the spirit world. And remember, each dimension is like a different life. So I'm living in the first dimension, that's like one type of life. Once I get to the second dimension, I'm now living a different type of life. I'm in a different location with different people. And it's a bit like you, you know, some of you have moved here from, from, this, from the mainland, right? Now, how many of you want to go back to where you last were? Not many of you. <laughs> so obviously you think this is a better place than where you were, right? And can you see how it would be the same as a spirit? If I'm now in a better space, like in the second sphere, do you think I'm going to go, well, I want to go back to the first? Or even back to Earth, where I created lots of problems? Obviously not. I've learnt those lessons that I've worked my way through. What I'm suggesting is you can work through all these lessons here on Earth, but many don't because of the emotional damage. But that emotional damage is not held against the person, ever. All they need to do is learn the lesson of being able to feel the damage. That's all they need to do. And they'll get through it very, very rapidly. And if they ask God to help them through it, they'll get through it so rapidly you can change it in one year of time there from heaps. So Hitler has the capacity right now to change in one year. So fundamentally our only reason to be here is to work through our emotional damage. No, our fundamental reason to be here is to experience God's love. Actually, But, but that's how you do it. Um, well, no. In the future... Do you do you see in your own time probably for most of, for most of you you will see new children born without emotional damage because of the work you've done with your own emotions. Right? So it doesn't have you don't have to have emotional damage. In fact, God when God created the original pristine system, there was no emotional damage on earth. And the first bit of emotional damage was created because the first couple chose that. But if you had no emotional damage, wouldn't you be one with God no. automatically? No. And that's the fallacy of today's religious beliefs. Right? You think about it. One with God is a condition dependent on, on how much of God's love has entered you. God will not give you her love unless your free will is involved. So you don't get God's love given to you unless you ask for it. You follow me? And it's only the asking for God's love that causes God's love to enter your soul. And that's the, that's the most important message I'd probably like you to take away with you today. Unless you ask for divine love to enter your soul, you will not receive divine love. So then we'll talk about how to ask for it in a minute. But how do we, why do we have to come to earth to be able to go through the process? Can't you do it? Bypass it? The best, the best uh, thing I can explain to you is when, remember when the soul is right initially created, it has no memories, it has no consciousness of self, it has no individualisation, it's not conscious of who it is, and so right at that time it's incarnated, right, onto earth. 
Now you can think of incarnation like this. How many of you have tried to talk to a two-year-old child about sex? <laughs> Not many of you have tried. <laughs> Why is that? Because? It's a waste of time, right? Because they don't really under, they're not yet ready to understand it yet, are they? What makes them ready is what? They grow a bit more, they have a bit more experience, a bit more memories, a bit more life experience, and they, and they start getting to what? Five or six. Now how many of you have talked to a five or six year old about sex? What kind of discussion do you have with a five or six year old about sex? Superficial. Very superficial, it's all to do with a bit of the mechanics, right? And when they hear about you doing it, they think, ooh, yuck, right? <laughs> and that's the last they think of it, perhaps, unless they've had some sexual damage by then, right? Now, you get to about, like, 12, 13. Now, what kind of conversation do you have about sex? Later than they know it all, and you don't know <laughs> Yeah, well, teenage years, that's the way it is, isn't it? And the conversation is more about, isn't it, desire, desire sexual hormones. desire, hormones, and all those kind of conversations you have. But, but do they really know about love yet? No, they don't know about sexual love yet, really, do they? So when do they know about that? Well, some would argue that they never know this life. <laughs> but by the time they get into their late teens, early 20s, now what are they starting to feel? They're starting to feel the relationship part of the sex. Do you see what I'm saying? So what had to happen was that they had to first be presented with this bit of information, then this bit of information, and then this bit of information, and then this bit of information. And slowly this information grew until the point where they now know this about. But how many of you know and practice tantric sex? Right. So, so there's all these other information that you're not yet knowing. Even, even though we're adults, we're still not knowing it for many of us, right? So what's going on? What's going on is we get things given to us when we are ready to receive them. And so what God does with free will choice is exactly the same as that. So what he's done is he's created this place called the physical universe, where you can learn lots and lots of different things. You could call it kindergarten, if you want. This is our kindergarten of life. <laughs> then he created seven spheres, or, and it's not appropriate to say he created it, because I'll talk about that later, but there are seven spheres that he created, which you could call the adolescence part of life. And then there are another 20-something spheres, which you could call the early 20s. And who knows what's beyond that? I don't know. But I'm guaranteed there is more beyond that, because God's an infinite God. Right? Now, how can I even, even cope emotionally with the emotions of what I would be experiencing in the 22nd sphere if I don't expand? So can you see that God has created a system that allows you to expand using your free will. In other words, you will expand as rapidly as you desire. And that's God's gift to you. And you will stay stagnant as long as you want. That's God's gift to you too. Desire and capability? No, no, he's given the capability, the beauty of God, or what God has done. Even though everyone has different personality, he's given them the same capability at the soul level to grow to the, to the highest possible state now known, which is the 22nd sphere. He, he give, has given everyone the same capacity to do that. Yeah, but does capability come with stages? Like you can't move on until 
you're ready and therefore capable? Uh, it's not until you're ready, it's until you choose to be ready. Does that make sense? Like anything that's holding us back usually is fear-based and anything that's holding us back is a choice to not deal with the underlying emotion of that fear. So we become ready by our own choice even. Yeah. And that's a very important thing to realise too. Yes, I have a, uh, a question about evil and uh, its relationship to uh, personality. Uh, yep. Evil seems to me comes in varying degrees. Some people are profoundly evil, some people are a little bit evil. But um, it, 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 it's my impression that there are some people who are, it's part of their personality, you know, they're, they're born that way. Uh, Yep. And there may be some people who have become so damaged and um, twisted by what's happened to them that uh, that can foster evil. So is there a distinction between those two? Is some of the personality inherently inherent in the personality? Yep. Or, uh, well, remember I said that God created personality. Yeah. So therefore, there is nothing evil in our personality. Yeah. But I will explain to you why this there seems to be this appearance of evil right from birth onwards. What actually happens is, remember incarnation, you've got the soul and you've got the bodies that are created at conception, right? So you've got the two bodies, the physical and spirit body, material body and the spirit body, and there's the half of the soul that incarnates. Now, what's happening in an energetic way is the soul envelops the two bodies. So in other words, the soul controls the physiological functions and the material functions and the spiritual functions of those bodies. Is the whole soul or half the soul? The half of the soul I'm talking now. So when I'm referring to the word soul, I'm talking the half of the soul at this point, right? The half of the soul needs these bodies to begin this experience that we talked about earlier, which is this experience of slowly absorbing life, slowly experiencing. But the problem is that this particular creation is in an environment already, at the moment of conception. So at the moment of conception, shortly after, this soul surrounds this body, if you like, but inside the mother's womb. Do you follow me? Now what's happening inside the mother's womb is, here's the mother's womb, you could say, this is now the mother's womb. What influences are happening upon the mother? She's got, you know, her relationship with her husband. So her husband, her husband or man in her life is there. She's got her own emotional injuries, the mother's emotional injuries, right? The ones that she hasn't cleared by the time she had this child. She's living in an environment of some kind, isn't she? Yeah. And there is also other environmental factors impressed emotionally upon the child. So, you know, even just a woman being pregnant sitting in this room will be absorbing the child, un the unborn child is absorbing through its mother all of your emotional impressions. Mm -hmm. This is occurring right from the moment of conception. So by the time that child's born, yes, it has quite a lot of emotional damage. So watching horror movies, for example, while you're pregnant is not good. Well, uh, you know, like doctors would say drinking coffee while you're pregnant is not good. Yes. I'm saying to you, anything that you do that emotionally affects you and causes you to get in a fear-based state is certainly going to be more damaging to the child than even drinking coffee. Right? 
Because it's, see, these are all emotions that this soul is absorbing. Now, you imagine, by the time this soul is born, already it's now acting out the emotional injuries that it's received. Already. That's why most children are born screaming, right? Yeah. So it's all avoidable, isn't it? It's all avoidable. Uh, uh, well, a whole lot's avoidable. You know, if the husband dealt with his crap, <laughs> the wife dealt with her crap. But in, but in a sense, it's not, not avoidable. Well, no, it is, it is all totally avoidable. The whole lot is totally but avoidable. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? It doesn't happen because very few of us are making the personal emotional choice to deal with all of our own emotional damage. That's why... So that's going to be ongoing. Um, it doesn't have to be. Within, like On the divine path, within a few years, you can have dealt with all of your emotional damage. Mm. But I mean in a broader sense, that in society it's going to happen... Well, let me like, explain what like else is this, going on. And then it's up to the individual to progress. True, but let me explain what else is going on. The husband and the wife, or the two creators of this child, form a protective spiritual umbrella around this unborn child. So what that does, what that means is, if the husband and wife, or you know, the, the partners of this child, the creators of this child, are in very good emotional and spiritual conditions, nothing can penetrate this emotional umbrella to harm the child from the external environment. Does that make sense? Mm. So really, it just depends upon the parents themselves being able to form this umbrella. But what often happens is, let's say the mother is really angry with men. So let's say the mum here, she's angry with men. Let's say this is a boy child. What's going to happen from the moment that I can see? This boy child is going to feel mum's angry with me before I even am born. Can you see that? And it starts to, what, how, do, how do you respond when someone's angry with you unjustly? Smack them. You feel, like, you feel like getting angry back, do you not? So a lot of boys finish up doing one of two different things. They either get angry back or they go down the track of feeling browbeaten by their mothers and do whatever she wants in order to get her love. They'll do one of those two things. But that injury is already there before they're even born. Now if the mother dealt with her anger, right, and now she was in a state of love towards her child, Right, completely. What's this boy going to feel about women? Love. Very loving. Just love, right? So it's going to be a totally different experience for that child, isn't it? At that point. Right? So can you see how important it is to actually deal with our take responsibility? What's actually happening with us, and I'll just explain it to you, what's actually going on with us emotionally. And this is something that's really important to understand for all of your interactions with every single person on this planet. Right? Here's you, and I'll draw you as a person rather than a soul. And I'll say that your emotions should just pass through you like that. So this is how your emotions should be. So when you feel a feeling of love, it should pass through you, you act upon that love. When you feel an anger, it should pass through you, and you won't act on it, but you'll own it. You know, you own it, feel it, and then feel what's underneath it. What's underneath anger generally? Wouldn't, you want, wouldn't you want to hang on to the feeling of love? Uh, well, the problem with hanging on to any feeling is that then you block up all the other feelings from flowing. In the end, what will happen is the emotion of love flowing from God will just continually flow through you, continually flow through you. You don't have to hang on at all because God's got an unlimited supply, right? Yeah, so why would you want to hang on to that? It's not going to dry up. Yeah, yeah it's not going to dry up. No. So we've got this emotion flowing through us. Right? 
Now, the instant I block it, what happens is that emotion now flies out everywhere. Huh? Every single living thing in my environment and every single non-living thing in my environment, every single, single what we call animate and inanimate objects in my environment, is now affected by that emotion. Who of you have read Anastasia stuff? Any of you? Oh, some of you have. Remember there was a time with Anastasia in, in I think it was book three or something like that, where, where she went through this terrible emotion. She was being attacked by the, the men who wanted to come and get her and take her away. And she got really angry and upset. You remember that? And all of a sudden, everything started dying around her. And then this golden bull came to her to convince her not to do that anymore, right? And all of a sudden things stopped dying, but everything started dying around her. And this is what's actually happening to our soul when we refuse to do with our emotions. Everything starts dying around us. Everything is affected negatively around us. So every time you're frustrated and angry, you are affecting not only yourself, but absolutely every living and non-living thing around you in a negative way. Now if you think about the power of that, that will help you start dealing with things in a different way. You see, what do we normally do? We get angry and upset, then we say, I've got to take action. Don't we? So we go some, do some affirmative action, whatever it is about the thing. But what needs to be dealt with is our emotion. It's our emotion that needs to be dealt with. Well, that's the action. That is the real action. The real action is, I'm not letting this emotion, whatever it is. So let's say, oh... I'm a bit angry about the road coming in. Right? <laughs> That's not an angry thing for us here. No, no. no it's not about it happen, so we don't have to. <laughs> but it's an issue for me. Let's say it's an issue. Why is it an issue? You'll find it's an issue for lots of reasons, not, not just the road. It's about my privacy, about my future, about all of these things being taken away from me, being manipulated by other people who don't live here, and all of those different things are all childhood emotions. If I deal with all of those emotions, what will happen is the whole situation will just go away without me having to act. Do you follow me? If you try it as an experiment, all of you try it as an experiment, just dealing with your emotions about the road, I guarantee you within a month the whole thing will be resolved. How do you deal with it? You have to actually access the causal emotion from your childhood that causes you to be so upset about the particular issue. Well, how do you dig it out? Well, it's already been digged out. The whole issue is exposing it within you, isn't it? But, but how do you know the actual uh, cause? Well, let's illustrate, shall we, with that particular issue. Yeah. Right? What do you feel is going to happen? Let's say I was this developer come along, I want to put a road over the mountain, straight into here, double lane highway, how do you feel? Great. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> with trucks? <laughs> loss of control. What are some of the emotions that you feel negative that I'm talking about? Loss of control. Why loss of control? I'm powerless. I'm powerless to stop this. Right? That's a childhood emotion. When you, if you think back to your childhood, how many times were you powerless to actually stop things happening to you that you felt were quite damaging? See, that's the childhood emotion that's easily accessed. The emotion is powerlessness, and I can just put my imagination back into this place where I'm just thinking about some childhood events. And you know, if you do that, these emotions will come up, and you let, if you let yourself feel them, the powerless feeling will just disappear. Yeah? Are you saying here that we should go back to our childhood emotions? 
I'm saying that every one of us have, have unexperienced childhood emotions that we have frozen in time inside of us because we weren't allowed to express them at the time we had them. You think, how many of you were allowed to cry completely, from completely right the way through, if you were crying? How many of you were told, if you cry anymore, I'm going to give you something to cry about? Yes. How many of you told that? Yes. A fair few of you, right? Don't you think that shut down the crying? Mm -hmm. Of course it did. The threat of punishment and further pain is going to shut down the crying, right? Now that's a childhood frozen emotion in time now. Every single time I wanted to cry, I had to have passed through this, emo this intellectual filter of what? Oh, I'm going to get punished if I cry too much. So I only cry a little. Enough that I can get away with, but not too much. But the problem is that there might have been an event that occurred, like I might have broken my leg, and I, pardon me, and I needed to cry for an hour. But I was only allowed to cry for five minutes. So what's happening with the energy of the other 55 minutes? Suppressed. It's all suppressed. It's all in here. It's all inside of your soul. Waiting to come out. Can't we circumvent all that without, without, I mean, trying to find out what it was, realising it, releasing it, can't we just flush it through with the divine love? You can, and we'll describe some of those processes in a minute. Yeah, you certainly can. There's some faster ways of dealing with some of these emotions, certainly. But it requires three days. Instead of digging up the dirt, go for the light. Um, you, no, you will have to dig up the dirt. Uh, but it will be not an effort to dig it up, it will just be coming to your left, right and centre. But how about if they're suppressed memories? Sorry? If they're suppressed memories. Everything that you have suppressed is based around the fear that is under the control of your free will. So all we need to do is address my fears and automatically the suppressed memories will reappear. Sounds painful. To be suppressed though, isn't it? There's, yes, but, yes, uh, somebody said it sounds painful. Yes, this process is going to be painful. But you know what, at the moment, you are creating far more pain by holding on to it. Sure. Because you're killing your own body and you're killing your environment and all the people in it through holding on to that emotion. So if you accept your pain, it's good for you, really? If, yeah, you, if you do that and allow it to pass through you, you're actually not only good for you, everyone. It's good for every single person around you as well. Suffering's good for you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not the suffering that's good for you, it's the choice to allow the pain you've already suffered. Yeah, that's what I mean. Really. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really important thing to understand. You just have to be brave. Corrupt courage. Yeah. You'll need courage. Definitely. Yes, courage. And don't cry. cry. <laughs> Sorry? And don't cry. No, you need to cry. You, you will cry. Guaranteed. Would it be right that as you bring in the divine light, though, that the higher vibration can actually help dislodge these? Yes, but a lot of times what happens is we reject the love flowing in because of an emotional injury. And so oftentimes what we've got to do is remove the emotional injury so that we can accept the love. Just to give you an example of that, um, if I feel unworthy of communicating with God or receiving anything from God, then straight away I'm really going, no God, I don't want your love. This is emotion. Now I'm going to have to begin dealing with the unworthiness with God before that love will be able to flow because I'm at the moment pushing it away. So can you see how a lot of times it's our emotions that actually reject it and block it? Once we've gone past that, once we've gone past it that, just seems to 
it just keeps cycling and you'll find every moment of every day you'll have some really happy times and then next moment you have a big ball because something come up and then next moment you're back happy again and it'll be just like a child, right? That's how a child experiences their life until all of their emotions are clear and that's what you will do too. But, but just lodging the rejection is the hardest thing. That's the hardest process and there's three things you'll need to do to dislodge it and we'll talk about that. Yes, not every action is based on emotional damage though. No, many, many actions inside of you are based on purity. Pure yes. emotions of desire, passions, longings. So I was just thinking your example where you gave the road as an example of a six-lane highway coming into here. Yep. So that a person's um, um, uh, want uh, to protect the environment because they see it as a manifestation of God's love. Yep. And so to, you know, to stop that uh, six-lane highway coming in, how would you see, see that? Or is it just the fact that everything... Can you see that there was just... Right there, there was different things happening. Right at the first part of your question, you were in this state... Your, your own feelings were in this state of yeah, loving the environment and so forth. Yeah. As soon as you went to the emotion of stop, as soon as I want to oppose something, what am I now doing? I'm now setting up a different emotion within me. What's the emotion within me? Yeah. Fear. It's a fear-based emotion. Well, the, um, only in the sense that you know, one would see the impact that the road would have on the environment that's been um, affected. But I'm saying if all of your emotions were pristine about this issue, no one's going to build a six-lane highway. Well, of course. Because, because you won't attract it. Well, it's not just me, singularly. That you, you're asking everybody to be in that place in order for nobody to think about creating a six-lane road. But there, is, there are people thinking that. So what do the people who not don't have that thought meant to do. Just say, oh well, that's okay, let the six-lane road come in. See, what? yeah, I, I, I feel that totally. I'm not, what I'm saying is every time you put energy into fighting something, you are actually creating more fear. And we'll talk about emotions and how what they create in a minute. Um, but this came up last night actually when we were in Burnie too, for those of us that were there, there's a few here that were there. Um, Let's look at what happens. We often have right at the top level some anger, right, about an issue. Right? So if, if, if many of you thought about a six-lane highway coming into here and really let yourself think about and feel about it, you'd feel quite angry. I'm angry that my environment's getting dis damaged. I came here to, to stop environments getting damaged. I want, you know, this, and, and so straight away there's some anger. Anger covers some fear within you. So understand that every time you're angry, there's something going on inside of yourself. Not, it's got nothing, like, in the, in the first century I said, someone can come up and punch you in the face, and you can not be angry about it. And in fact, I said, what you said. I said to turn the other cheek. Yeah. Right. Now, why did, could I, how could you do that? Because you'd have to be, you'd have to be in a pretty good state of love for that, don't you think? You'd have to be in a state where, where someone can hit you and there is no emotional feeling inside of you except the feeling of love for that person in that act. But why did they hit you in the first place if you didn't have fear within Well, it might be because of their, their condition. Their fear. Their fear. See, often a person in a truth attracts people in fear. 
So you may be in truth and you will attract people in fear in your life as a result of that. Because what do they need to get rid of their fear? Truth. truth. <laughs> That's why you attract them, right? So, so this is where you will need courage. Because so, uh, so the better you get, the more problems you attract. No, it's not that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that way. That was just a bit of a real... Yeah, the truth is, the law of attraction works really well in the sense the more you clear out of your soul, the less you attract. But that doesn't mean in the end you're not going to attract nobody coming up to hit you. Because a lot is dependent upon their condition too. Right? Because we shouldn't react. It's not about not shouldn't react. I'm not saying it's, it's not about shouldn't react. Or it is better not to react. I'm not saying that either. No. What I'm saying is you won't even have a feeling to react. Yeah. There's a big difference between those three statements, isn't there? The first two require an effort. The third one requires no effort on your behalf. You just love and breath. You just love, right? Yeah. Now, to get to that stage, all of the emotion that's underneath needs to be released. So that under our anger is some fear. Under the fear is some... What might be under the fear? Might be some uh, grief, maybe, right? So let's say they did put in a big highway into here. How would you feel about the destruction of the environment, really? But after you deal with your anger, I mean, let yourself get rid of the anger. In other words, imagine you had you could do nothing at all about it for a moment. What would you feel? Grief. Sorrow. Sorrow. sorrow grief. Just sorrow, grief, wouldn't you? There'd be deep sorrow and grief. What's that? That's in you already. From emotional damage from childhood and everything. So it's got to be related to something going on when you were little, right? For that to be in you. Because the truth is, if they built a six lane highway into my property, right, I would not feel those sor that sorrow and grief because I know that I can create anything I want somewhere else. So I wouldn't feel that myself. So there has to be some grief that I've let go of to get to that point. Because I, I, in, in the past, I certainly would have felt that. Right? And now I don't. Let's go deeper than the grief. What might be under the grief? What, why might I feel so much sorrow about my particular space being destroyed in that way? And even on my view it as the, my particular space is the earth. Why do I feel that about the earth? Self-protection. Okay, some, some, some more basic things, right? Oh, yeah, so safety, security, and all those kind of things might be deep childhood emotions that I've never experienced. Right? I felt unsafe, insecure. Controlled all the time. Powerless. Powerless all the time when I was a child. Mm. And because of that, I have this grief in me already. Does that make sense? And then, because of the grief, and I don't want to feel the grief, because who cries about a road? <laughs> well, some do, but not many people are allowed to, are they? So I get into my anger then. And then we, then we want to take action. The actual desire to take action comes from our desire to suppress our fear which comes from our desire to suppress our grief, which comes from our desire to actually suppress the core emotion that was created when I was little. And if I release that, not only will all of those other emotions disappear, but also I will no longer attract that event. Make sense? Yeah. Now, if I can give you some really simple examples of that. Last night I gave an example where Myself and Mary were flying from England back to Australia. I always, I'm a vegan, so I don't eat meat or anything like that. 
and I always tell the airline what's my what my uh, you know what, what I want to order as a meal. So the meals get served. It's a seven four seven. We're coming back on the meals get served, and I don't get a meal. Now, what's what would be a normal reaction? A bit of upset. What's going on here? I didn't get my meal. But what's under that? What would, the, what would be my next action? Oh yeah. So so come over here. You know, you see this happening, don't you, on the airlines uh, every time? Want, come over here. Why haven't I got my meal? You know, what's going on? I ordered it. What's happening? I'm not happy with this. So I could have done all that, right? But my law of attraction attracted me not getting fed. So there was an emotion in me that attracted me not getting fed. So what do I need to do instead? I need to find my emotion. So what I did was I didn't connect to that because I didn't feel it, all that. I started feeling that. And what I started connecting to was some emotions underneath that. And I actually cried on the plane for about 15 or 20 minutes about these emotions. I'm not cared for. Nobody cares. It was one of the emotions. Right? In other words, so there why were... didn't you get it? Sorry? Why didn't you get it? <laughs> because I attracted it. No, and I attracted Maybe it because... somebody just forgot? No. No, the word universe doesn't work that way. And if, you, if someone had just forgot, you'd make a whole lot of people feel really bad. Unnecessarily. No. You could have just reminded them. No. Dude, what attracted me is my emotion. This is something because you haven't heard the rest of the story yet. <laughs> and I'll prove to you it was my emotion. I owned the causal emotion for that event. Everything that happens to you, you create. Uh, and I owned that. You create it not by your thoughts, you create it by your emotions, your feelings. Right? Alright, so I cried for 15 minutes. After I finished, and by the way, while I was crying, Mary was upset with me because she was saying to me, You're just being a martyr. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm dealing with some causal emotion. She said, Oh, do you want some of mine? <laughs> I said, No, no, because I created this event. And I want to take full responsibility for this event that I created that's happened to me. It didn't happen to you. You were fine. <laughs> you got fed. I didn't get fed. So it must be something to do with me. Huh? And then you all turned up. No, no. What happened is these two attendants came up and said, Oh, we just realised that you didn't get fed. Did they know you were crying? No. No, they didn't know I was crying. <laughs> if they did, I would have wondered why I was crying about not getting fed. <laughs> No, they didn't no, notice me crying. And what I actually did when I was crying was I actually put on the, uh, you know, and dimmed the lights, put on the thing, <laughs> just let myself go from dripping. <laughs> just a little trickles without <laughs> ears. And what, I, and what happened was that, uh, yeah, they came along and they said, oh, you didn't get fed, did you? And I said, no. And they said, oh, what would you like? And I said, oh, what I really like is a big bowl of pumpkin soup or something like that. I'm vegan, I said, explain. So I'd like a big bowl of pumpkin soup and a really big salad, like, you know, not a normal airline salad. <laughs> I was saying a really big salad is what I really want. And, and I thought I was sort of joking with them, really. But they said, oh, we'll see what we can do. And they went off and they brought back from first class exactly what I wanted. 
then they just put it there, and I was quite happy after that, right? <laughs> now, then Mary was crying. <laughs> she was upset that I got a good meal. Was somebody in first class crying? <laughs> I don't know, I didn't. And, uh, but what happened was that it only took me feeling the emotion to create the new situation. Now, I have had this happen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in my life now, right? particularly in the last few years, putting all of these things into practice, where, where all I need to do is have a feeling and what I felt is automatically created and I didn't have to call anybody or anything. Now I can actually feel uh, I would like to talk to such and such and usually within a half an hour they call me. Like, I don't call them, they normally call me as soon as I have that feeling. Have you got my phone number? <laughs> <laughs> so, can you see what's going on? What's going on is when you deal with the causal emotion inside of you, you do not need to do all these intellectual things. But you're, you're sort of talking about a very basic, like nobody cares, a very basic thing. So, is that actually a formula for... Like a basic formula for everybody, or does no, it be? I had to connect with the emotion inside of me that created the event, not not the one inside of you that might create your event. Like we have different emotions that are based on what happened to us in our childhood, but there are obviously very common things occurring to the whole human race with many of these emotions, because many of us have been treated in similar ways. Is, is that ultimately just a lack of love? It, all is all, it is all ultimately a lack of love, but we can intellectualise that and skip over the actual feeling of the emotion. Mm -hmm. See, what, what you want to avoid doing is this, and many of us do this. Here's where we are right now, emotionally. Here's our, you could call it our emotional condition right now. I call it our soul condition. All right. All right. Here, here is where we are right now. Here is where we think we want to be. Right? Some place up here. And you know what we do most of the time? We just imagine ourselves to be there. In our mind. And you know what? It's not real. The real law of attraction is operating on this. Not on this. Mm. You can imagine this all you want. You're not going to create anything different until you're actually there. And the only way to actually get there is to feel all of this emotion in between. Well, it's like an emotional body, isn't it? It's like a body of its own until you feel that in, in that body, that physical... Yep. It's a physical and emotional expression. That. And feel all of that and experience it. You need to actually... And this is a word that I constantly use, is you need to experience it fully, it completely. The reason why we have these locked up emotions is because when we were a child, we were shut down from experiencing each emotion completely. So you think about it now, how many times do you now experience an emotion completely, good or bad? Most of us don't, because we're so shut down in all different ways that we tell ourselves we can't, even if it's a good emotion, you know, how many of us, when we have a good emotion, you feel like singing and dancing and yelling and screaming and, you know, but we feel we can't do it because, oh, they think I'm nuts or something. You know what I mean? We, we have all these judgments automatically, right? And then the negative emotions. How many of you right now would feel very comfortable if I said something to you and all of a sudden you just burst out crying and fell on the floor in a, in a, in a fetal position and just cried for an hour? How many of you would be comfortable doing that? 
Well, in the end, you will be. You will be comfortable doing that. And you know what? In the end, in a very short period of time in these earth change events that are going to happen in the future, every single person on earth is going to be comfortable doing that. What do you call a short time? <laughs> Five years? Yeah. How? You know, we've all heard about 2012, world changes, all of these things, right? How are they all going to happen? They're all going to happen by you doing this. That's how they're all going to happen. So the, the Mayan calendar that did all this 2012 stuff, did that mean the Buddha just ran out of time to finish it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the civilization disappeared, basically, went back to the hills, so he wasn't going to hang around doing the rest of it. Or did it actually foretell what you're talking about as a possible future? Yeah, there were spirits in the sixth year already in a very good state who were channeling information to not only the Mayans, but also the early Egyptians as well. This is all about like the Great Pyramid as part of all of these prophecies as well. And all of these prophecies, which you would call them foretelling of future events, they all occurred because they could foresee at some point in the future the human race would hit a critical mass. And the critical mass would be they would stop denying all of their emotions that cause all of their problems and start actually working through all of their emotions that cause their problems. And when that critical mass point occurs, the world changes. And they knew that when that would occur. They've predicted and foretold. And by the way, all prophecy comes from God anyway. So God has predicted and foretold these events through these prophets, if you like, that have been then reflected onto earth. And has this got something to do with you being here and us being here? Yes, very much so. How many of you feel you are a part of what is coming up? And you, you know that in your heart, the majority of you. Why do you feel that? Because you are being told constantly through your spirit guide, from God, that yes, you are a part of all of these things. And why are you a part? Because at some point you will understand the truth that you can't imagine yourself to be somewhere. You need to be where you really are and let yourself experience the emotion to get to this new place, this new condition. And when you know that and you practice that, there will be hundreds of people around you who noticed the difference in you. And then they will ask you, how did you do that? And then they will do it. And within a very short period of time, just a few years, you'll have affected by your own choices tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands or even millions of people just by that choice you made to do that. And that's how all these changes will occur. So you don't force it, just work it by example. Yeah, work it by example. It's actually your sole condition that creates change. It's not your intellectual action that takes change. That's why a lot of times when we act intellectually, we get so frustrated, don't we? Mm -hmm. Because it's all too hard, isn't it? But what I'm saying to you is when you change your soul condition, everything will just go smooth. Now, many of you have already experienced that in your life. When you've had moments where you've been in your pure desire and everything you've created has just sort of sailed along. Well, the mind's not real. The mind is just a physical thing in the end. It the put, soul is the only thing yeah, that's true. It puts us in time, so you have to live more in your body and your senses, which takes us out of time and into what's more real. That's right. The soul, which is what, that's what I call the soul. That's the soul's power. The soul is the real thing. That, in fact, it is the only real part of you. Right at the moment, this body is just an appendage yeah. for the soul to express itself. But everybody identifies with their mind or their body. Or their body. So nobody really knows 
the that's, truth. That's right. No one's understanding the truth that it's the soul, this part of you that is the feeling, emotional, desirous, passionate part of you. That's the thing that needs to be developed in love. That's the thing. With the changes that may happen in 2012, is it, is it possible that we may need to live in a community like this which is self-sufficient and totally. caring? You are already creating an environment around you, unbeknown to yourself perhaps even, that is going to be one of the leading environments of the future. And if you can do this emotional work in, in amongst it all, you'll find the creation will just expand much more rapidly. And you are actually right now creating what will be a, an example to the rest of the world of how to live. But we're not meant to care about a six-lane road coming through. <laughs> you won't have to. Because in the end, your soul will be in such a nature that it can't even attract a six-lane road coming through. But the other people who are pushing that agenda won't be in that space. No, but they will automatically drop it. Love has more power than fear. And this is something that we don't appreciate, you see, when we're in a state of anger or upset. We don't appreciate that love has more power than fear. But you think of all the people that have inspired you, personally, the, pe the people, the individuals who have inspired you. How many of them were in a state of fear? None of them, right? Well, you can't let things outside yourself affect you so profoundly. Otherwise, well, you're always going to be in pain. Well, my suggestion is let things outside of yourself affect you, how they're going to affect you, and deal with the underlying emotion within you oh, that sure. created it. Oh, yeah, you've got to do that. Yeah, do that. And then nothing outside of you will really no. affect you. <coughs> yeah. We're brought up, like, in the male society sort of idea. Um, what I'm getting at is do women have an advantage being able to feel and show their emotions? to be able to release, to work on this sort of process that's happening. Each gender has a different advantage. Women have an advantage in the sense that they are very, very, they can very, very easily experience their emotions without judgment of the emotion itself. But women have a disadvantage in, they, in that they find it difficult at times to observe themselves doing it. Do you understand what I mean by that? So if a woman is quite angry with a man, She'll believe that the anger is due to what he's just done. In reality, if she could observe the emotion further, she would know that the anger is actually due to some things that her dad did in her childhood, if you follow me. And she will start to observe that. The man's disadvantage is that he has a lot of things within him emotionally that he can't connect to emotionally, and he's not easily allowing himself to be emotional. His advantage is that he easily finds that he can observe his emotion. Now what is required is for both of them to understand the other and work, you know, each learn from the other with regard to those two facets. So a woman can help a man by showing a man how to just experience his emotion without judgment. A man can help a woman by showing her how to observe the experience of emotion as not being something that is currently created but was something that was created years before, probably in her childhood. Do you follow me? And each one of the sex, each one of the sexes can help the other. And that's how God designed it, because the two halves of the soul each have something the other half of the soul needs for its own progression. But aren't we better than the female side? I'm surprised you didn't get there. Oh, you used to those guys. But the emotion coming from you is like, you were going to I'll just overlook that one. Yeah. <laughs>
And yeah, this whole thing of women are from Mars, men are from Venus, that kind of, or other way around actually, <laughs> is uh, what the book says. But, you know, it is, all, it is all really just based around injuries, really, all of those kind of things. The truth is that God made us to be perfect complements of each other and we can learn a lot from each other by observing each other and how we act in different situations. So a male can learn a lot from how the female experiences her emotions. The female can learn a lot from how the male is capable of observing the emotion. Right? And, and you will need both of those things in your life to progress. You'll need to know how to experience your emotions, but you'll also need to be able to observe them without acting upon them. When I say acting upon them, I'm angry, I feel like murdering someone. You know, obviously I'm not going to go off and <laughs> do the deed, right? Now, there's many times when people do, but obviously that's out of harmony with love. The loving thing is just to experience the feeling and then go underneath and feel what the cause of that feeling is. And it's always related to some deep grief and, and the core issue is always related to some kind of lack of love. You don't have to you don't have to dwell on the anger feeling, you recognise it and then say, you know, why the hell am I doing this? You know? uh, it depends. If it's an adult anger feeling, no, you don't have to dwell on it. If it's a child anger feeling, then you will need to experience it because it's a locked up feeling. Well, so it just depends. Between the two, if it's a superficial feeling, if it's, if it's the apparent one. Okay. And uh, let's say I'm feeling a feeling of uncontrollable rage. Well, guaranteed that's going to be a suppressed child feeling. Right? So I need to go out and bash something and kick something and do, you know, whatever I need to do to express that feeling. Obviously not a person or a living thing. Something that's, you know, more inanimate than that, that's not going to feel all of that projection of emotion. But do it. Right? <coughs> connect to the rage, connect to the anger, that's a childhood thing. The kind of adult kind of anger is all to do with, like, resentment and, right, and, and those kind of feelings. They're all choices that we make as an adult to actually get away from emotions that are underneath. And we don't have to have those, actually, at all. They are just choices to feel powerful, because in reality we feel powerless. So we'll talk more about emotions, perhaps, after a break. Do you feel like a break? Yes. Yeah, let's have a break. Mm -hmm. Ask more questions. What I wanted to do now before we ask more questions is uh, just to go through three things that is really important that I cover. And that is the three things that you need to progress spiritually. And these are the only things you really ever need. And when I say they're the only things you ever need, they're really, really simple to understand. A child can understand them, but they are not easy to do, as many simple things are not easy to do. The first thing that you'll need to progress in the divine path that I'm talking about is this quality called humility. And that doesn't mean you're going to be humble, although sometimes you feel like that. What it means is that you have to make a choice if you want to follow that path to feel desire to feel all of your own emotions, whether they're pleasurable or painful. So my definition of humility is the desire to feel all emotion, 
whether pleasurable or painful. Now the problem with it, most of us, is we have no trouble with the pleasure. <laughs> do we? Generally. Not everyone's like that, by the way. A lot of people do have trouble with even feeling the pleasure. But most of us have a desire to feel the pleasure, but not the desire to feel the painful. And it's the desire to feel the painful that often we need to work on to allow ourselves to just experience the painful emotions as they are. Let ourselves be overwhelmed by it. So humility means that if I desire to feel all of my emotion, whether it's pleasurable or painful, I'll be able to be in any interaction with any person, with any animal, and whenever any emotion comes up for me, I will feel it. And you'll get to the point where you'll feel it at that instant. And you won't put it off, you won't delay it, you won't care who's in front of you, what they're doing, who's around, you will just feel the emotion in that instant. And that's where you're aiming. Because the place of abundant with God is you feeling every emotion the moment you feel. That's how God created you to exist. So that's the first thing. Any questions about that quality? So you can't actually feel another's emotion because you're only going to attract that in order to feel what's in you? Yeah, the truth is that if you are sitting down with a friend and she's having a cry and then you start crying, you're not actually feeling her emotion. You're feeling your own emotion that's sympathetic to her emotion. When you release your own emotion, she'll be able to have a cry right in front of you, and you won't cry. <coughs> so don't try to make yourself not cry. What I'm saying is that when you've, when you've removed all sympathetic emotion from within you, of course, anybody else feeling that emotion, you won't feel it. So you know how sometimes you're with a person and they seem, you know, they seem to make you angry? Well, you're not, they're not making you angry. You have anger inside of you that their feelings are triggering inside of you. And they can't make you angry or sad or needy or powerless or anything else. Nobody can do that to you. Yeah? Why humility? I don't see. Well, when we're willing to experience all of our own emotion, are we resistive? So that's the opposite to humility. Yeah, you can see. Well, the opposite to humility is the opposite is pride or arrogance. Right? Now, when we're proud, when we're proud, what we're actually doing is we have no desire to feel all of our own emotion. When we're arrogant, what we're doing is we're having no desire to feel all of our own emotion, and instead. We're putting other people down, trying to shut them down instead. So, my definition of humility is a bit different than the dictionary's definition of humility. Right? Um, when a person's humble, they are teachable. Can you see why? Because everything, everything that you fire at them, they're willing to feel their own emotion first about it. See, every bit of resistance that we have in our soul to, to any teaching that's presented to us by God, by the universe, if you like, any teaching that's presented to us from the universe, the whole reason why we don't absorb it all is because we're not willing to feel our emotions about it. 
when we're willing to feel our emotions about it, we can absorb things so rapidly and change very rapidly as a result. This is like being open to any experience or any emotions. Yeah, that's right. So the, when we're humble, we're open. We're so open because we're desiring. We've, we've got a passionate desire to feel. So we're so open to every possible feeling that can hit us, even if it's painful. We're even open to that. So in other words, we're not judging an emotion firstly and saying, oh, is this going to be pleasurable? If it's not pleasurable, then I'm going to push this away. And you see, a lot of times we've got error in us. And the error emotions are you know, going to be painful to experience. And so we try to shut them down. And it's the process of shutting them down that keeps us away from God. So we need to be just open, just open to all of our emotions. Not embarrassed to experience all of our emotions. Not ashamed of experiencing <coughs>